Well, well, well. It has been another week that has gone by, and here we are again. I am your host, Ron Sims. Welcome to this week's installment of Money in the Middle podcast. A lot to talk about, but we'll keep it simple. We're going to keep it light this week. And, uh, you know, I look forward to sharing. So let's let's get right into it. As is customary, we are starting this week off with our proverb for the week. And it states to answer without listening to all of the facts is both foolish and will cause shame. I'll say it again. To answer without listening to all of the facts is both foolish and causes great shame. There is no secret that today's generation are quick to speak and slow to hear, which is very interesting because I, I grew up with my grandmother, right? And in that generation, you know, it, it was a common thing to be quick to hear and slow to speak, right? And what that basically meant was to listen to what was being said, understand all of the points and the facts that are being made, before opening your mouth, right? And uh, quite frankly, there's another one that goes right along with this that says, uh, even a fool is thought wise when they keep silent. So uh, that's why I love this proverb so much. Um, You know, There's a lot that's going on in society, you know, a lot that has gone on over the weekend. Some of which I'm just not going to get into. Uh, One, because a lot of it's not my business. Two, I don't know the facts. You know, we see what we've seen. But, you know, it's not my place to get into uh, folks business. So I'm going to focus on what it is that I'm good at, which is money for everyday folks. Uh, Today, we're talking about mortgage rates and inflation and what it means for you. We talked a little bit about this on a previous episode, but uh, I felt it necessary to revisit it because now more than ever, we're starting to see um, mortgage rates behave the way petroleum uh, prices have which is banks profiting on inflation and the fear of increased rates. So, uh, I want to say a couple weeks ago, we talked about the uh, mortgage rates going up. And how rates don't necessarily have a direct impact on um, 
on the mortgage rate. You know, the Fed increasing their, you know, the the, the federal prime rate does not necessarily uh, immediately affect the mortgage the mortgage marketplace. But what we're starting to see, and we talked a little bit about on our on one of our previous shows, is that mortgage companies, much like uh, petroleum companies, are are starting to really take advantage of the volatile mortgage uh, interest rate climate, right? And what I want to really kind of go over today is what that means for you. Uh, it can mean something different for everyone, but it really depends on the part of the marketplace in which you are participating. Some folks are participating in uh, what we call the secondary market, where notes or loans or mortgage notes are being sold immediately onto the secondary market or being picked up by investors, uh, which is allowing hedge funds and large uh, mortgage uh, security firms, if you will, or, or CMBSs or companies who sell mortgages as an investment to increase rates to provide more yield for investors, right? Uh, make no mistake, rates going up is uh, is truly a value add for investors who are looking for yield in the short or near term. So you're, you're going to you know, on the secondary market in the commercial marketplace, you're seeing things like uh, across the board standard uh, five, you know, to seven to eight year prepayment penalties, <clears throat> as well as you're starting to see interest rates on the rise. Right. You know, there's always been risk based pricing. There's always been some sort or some level of risk associated pricing, meaning that uh, mortgage companies charge you based on your associated risk. But now we're starting to see a mixture of the two. And I think that it's really important that we understand how to separate the two. Why is it important, you say? Well, easy. Uh, I'll use gas as an example, and then we'll get right back into our, our topic. You know, crude. We talked last time that we we spoke. Crude oil prices had gone down in the marketplace, uh, trading lower, meaning that they were more cost effective to buy, if you will, and gas prices continued to rise. Well, the same thing is true now for mortgage rates. Well, similar, not not the same, or it's not uh, exactly the same, right? When the Fed raises its interest rates um, from, you know, when they when the Fed raises the rates, it doesn't immediately affect the mortgage market. Right. Prime, the prime rate or the prime interest rate uh, in February was three and a quarter. Right. The Fed effectively raised rates to. Uh, you know, by 25 basis points, which brought the prime, the, the Wall Street Journal prime rate to 3.5, right? Well, mortgage companies, you know, being in the business to make money are starting to see that 
and are pricing uh, clients accordingly, right? Um, you know, I saw a, uh, a a mortgage rate for an FHA um, with points, etc., at four and a quarter. Four and a quarter, right? Or four point two five percent. Well, that is. 75 basis points or 0.75% higher than Wall Street Journal Prime. And you would ask, well, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, why is that the case? Well, the banks are taking a, a, a they're taking a, um, they're taking a play right at the books of the gas companies, right? Or any company that's around to make money, right? And they are pricing the mortgages or their pricing loans according to what the market has a stomach to to take, right? Now, there are a lot of different inflationary measures that have to take place in order to slow the curve of inflation because how does inflation happen in the first place, right? Inflation happens when people have more money to buy goods and services than there are goods and services in the market, right? It's a simple uh, equation of supply and demand where, except in our case, you know, given the last couple of years and the pandemic and, you know, government spending, et cetera, there has been more supply of capital than there you know, there's been more supply of capital than there are goods and services, right? As well as a slow of goods and services, which is increasing demand, you know, between uh, freight issues and shipping and non-deliverables and things of that nature, you know, and it's been uh, kind of a perfect storm, if you will, for the rise of inflation. Now, depending on who you ask, will determine your answer to uh, what really caused all of this, right? And I think it's a a couple things, right? You know, if you understand, uh, if you understand in the slightest uh, macroeconomics, which is macro basically meaning the big picture economics, um, the our, the United States economy operates on a on a curve, right? Uh, it, it picture a hill that's going up, it's going up, and then it curves and goes down, going down, going down, curves and goes back up, goes back up, goes back up. And generally, you know, most folks call that a bell curve. And generally, in America, the bell curve is about every ten to fifteen to even stretching out to twenty years, right? Uh, we were at an all-time low in, around 2007, 2008, you know, where uh, we saw tremendous uh, downsides in the marketplace uh, as a result of uh, non-prudent mortgage-backed securities trading and uh, non-prudent mortgage lending in the first place, right? where, uh, you know, folks were getting uh, an exorbitant amount of adjustable rate mortgage. Uh, and those are called arms. We're going to talk about that in this episode as well. But uh, multiple arms on multiple properties with 
you know, not enough verification of income, etc., or ways to repay. So thus creating a marketplace full of junk, if you will. So now that we've got an idea of uh, the flow, let's let's really just kind of dive in a little bit. Right. What is an arm, a mortgage arm? A mortgage arm is, quite frankly, an adjustable rate mortgage. And nowadays, well, you know, over the last, jeez, almost, almost decade, actually over a decade ago, you know, since the the crash and all of those things, uh, adjustable rate mortgages have kind of been a uh, taboo thing to say, right? It was something that you don't talk about or you don't want to sell because they are the boogeyman of the mortgage industry. Well, not necessarily, right? And the reason that that's my take is anything done in excess without prudence or thought is the boogeyman of everything, right? Whether it's mortgage, whether it's uh, eating, whether it is sex, whether it is uh, TV, social media, etc. Too much of anything in excess without prudence is uh, is a danger, right? How does that relate to adjustable rate mortgages? Well, as mortgage rates increase, one of the values of adjustable rate mortgages is that it allowed for folks to get into a property at lower initial rates for a set period of time. You know, usually uh, seven, you know, five years, seven years, 10 years, etc. And during which time the rate would be locked at whatever that interest rate is without increasing as, uh, you know, without increasing. And the value of that was that generally those rates were lower. You know, folks were, you know, back in the day, you know, we're seeing historical low rates even, you know, uh, two decades later, you know, but in the early 90s, 2000s and before folks were getting mortgage rates of like seven, eight, nine, 10 percent. Right. Uh, and then. So the, the, the beauty or the, the value of adjustable rate mortgages was that, hey, I could get into a mortgage for 10 for five years, 10 years without, you know, at a lower rate and um, save money on the front end. While, you know, and be able to get into the home of my dreams. Well, the challenge with that was the the more the adjustable rate mortgage contracts back in the day, uh, a lot of them had balloon payments or not balloon payments, but had uh, significant rate increases at the end of those terms. Right. 
I'm not going to get into LIBOR and um, all of those fancy uh, mortgage or banker terms because the goal of this podcast is to make it uh, so that everyone can understand, right? But the initial... Uh, the initial arms, if you will, were for uh, 5-1 or 7-1 or 10-1 arm, meaning that the rate would adjust after 10 years, five years, right? To whatever prime was, plus the spread that the bank has set in place, so that... <clears throat> So that, you know, the bank could effectively make money on those who are still uh, participating in that product. The challenge is that, you know, a, a lot of those rates increase so significantly that folks couldn't pay. And when you create a situation where folks can't pay, there's mass default. The government's explanation to the whole thing was, uh, you know, mortgages failed, yada, yada, yada. But really, it wasn't that mortgages failed or it wasn't so much that folks weren't paying their mortgages. It was that Wall Street was betting big on the idea that the housing market has never crashed. Like, you know, a quote, who the hell doesn't pay their mortgage? Well, it's not about who doesn't pay it's who can or can't pay. All right. And it wasn't so much that folks couldn't pay. It was, you know, everyone can pay their... Most people generally try to pay their primary residence. But when you've got multiple properties with loans, etc. on them, that's when it starts to get tricky. But we're not going to talk about that. I, I wanted to kind of give that backdrop around, you know, why, a, why ARMS kind of got a bad rap. Right? So in today's market, you know, I decided to look at, you know, so what are some of the arm rates going for now? And it's it's actually <clears throat> very fascinating in that mortgage arms are priced at or higher than the marketplace right now. And, you know, I talked to my banker and he was saying that the reason for that was a lot of a lot of the mortgages or the, a lot of the short-term uh, notes that are usually made up of arms were very volatile because not a lot of folks were buying them, right? That everyone was afraid of them. And now that rates are increasing, there's a possibility that those things or that those that product, if you will, will start to come back to the marketplace and have a more favorable trading value. But we want to be careful. We want to make sure that whatever we do is done through prudence and it's done with, with understanding, right? You know, so if you're going to get... So now, let me, let me just pause for a second. Mortgages, the arms used to adjust every year after your fixed rate term. So now, however, 
There are no more 5-1 or 7-1 or 10-1. They're all 5-6, 7-6, 10-6, meaning that the rates will now adjust every six months after your fixed rate period, right? The value of that is if you're smart and you're savvy or you at least are open to learning and listening, you can get a 10-6 arm or a 7-6 arm and get a lower, well, (laughs) right now the rates aren't lower, but if the rates do go lower, uh, you can partake in that product and have a strategy on how to get out of it as time goes on. Because here's the good news, right? Residential mortgages don't generally have prepayment penalties. You could get a mortgage today and pay it off in a week. Now, of course, banks don't want you to do that. And uh, there's really no value in doing that because the way that any income or money is generated in our economy is through debt. So you would effectively be hurting the economy uh, by and large by getting a large mortgage and paying it off early, right? Also, debt is non-taxable. So, you know, that's why you get a tax write-off for your mortgage interest being paid, okay? This is not tax advice. This is just common knowledge. The reason I bring that up is that if you are savvy enough and the, the arm rates go down, it could be beneficial for folks to participate in that product. Now, I said before that the mortgage rates or the Fed rate going up does not directly correlate to mortgage rates uh, immediately, right? But more than anything, rates are determined by the market. So when you are shopping for mortgage Story time. A lot of you know that I kind of moonlight as a uh, as an advisor. You know, I generally charge for my services, uh, or uh, I, I offer them for free. There's no in between. There's no discount. I don't do discounts because I, I think that discount devalue discounting your work or your service devalues the work or your service to the person that you are discounting it for. So I only have two prices, either the price or free. I digress. But recently I am uh, advising someone on their mortgage for their primary residence. It's the first time that they've owned a home in quite a, quite some time. And uh, I don't know, it's just a quick pro tip. Uh, if you have not had real estate interest within the last three years, especially as a primary residence, you technically qualify as a first-time homeowner or you qualify for first-time home buyer perks, right? <clears throat> well, I'm advising a client on their purchase and uh, they called me and said, hey, Ron, you know, my mortgage or my, my banker told me that my interest rate was going to be 5 well, they said close to six something. I said, well, what kind of mortgage are you getting? 
Are you getting an FHA? Are you getting conventional? You know, what, what we got going on here, right? The client says, uh, I think I'm getting an FHA, but I'm not really sure. Can you help me out? I said, okay, give me your mortgage banker's contact and send an email so that I can talk to your mortgage banker, giving me full access to your credit profiles, etc., so that I can know how to help you. They said done, right? Sent an email, scheduled an appointment, talked to a mortgage banker. Mortgage banker says, uh, come to find out, by the way, uh, the credit profiles were uh, were just meeting, uh, just over meeting the FHA requirements, right? And their, the interest rate turned out to be five and an eighth or 5.125. Why is that important? Well, it's important because uh, it allows me to talk about risk-based pricing. But after this, right? I talked to the mortgage banker, asked a bunch of questions, a bunch of mortgage questions um, that I knew to ask because I'm a mortgage banker, right? I don't do residential mortgages, but I am a mortgage banker. And their banker was kind enough to... Uh, explained to me everything that was going on, as well as the specifics of their deal. And I was able to make the safe assumption that the deal that they had was a good deal, all things being considered, right? All things considered, they were in a really good deal. Why do I say all things considered? Well, every bank has, there, there's a federal threshold that uh, for FHA and government products, the VA loan, the USDA, et cetera, blah, 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 right? Where the government says, hey, we want you to allow folks to get a mortgage and we are going to guarantee it so that uh, the risk is not solely held by you, the bank, or you, the mortgage lender, okay? That's what those government programs are. Freddie, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, USDA, VA, etc. cetera. Uh, they're basically government guarantees. It is important for you to note, I don't know if you've ever taken notes while listening to this podcast, but if you do, if you haven't, now would be the ideal time to take some notes. It is important to note that the federal government does not generally uh, write loans, right? Even at the SBA, if you went to get a business loan, that the SBA is a federal entity or federal agency, but the SBA does not generally write loans, which is why, and this is a jab, the EIDL loan product that the federal government actually wrote was implemented so terribly, right? And they're still trying to get that money out, right? It's because the government is not a lender. So they don't understand, you know, not that they don't understand uh, in theory, but in practice, the government is not equipped for that sort of activity, right? So what does the government do? The government says, hey, we allow you to take deposits from the public. 
We allow you to take the public's money and write loans. We want to uh, foster home ownership within our economy because that is home ownership is, uh, according to America, one of the key drivers to wealth and one of the key drivers in uh, a nation's uh, strong having strong uh, economic growth and development. Right. So the government will guarantee loans via the FHA program, the USDA program, the, the, the VA program, etc., which basically means that they will cover the they will, you know, any event of default or uh, if the bank wants to sell the note back or, you know, trade the note on the open market, the FHA will basically cover default. So in any event that the borrower defaults, the bank is indemnified and made whole um, from loss, right? The reason for this is that the, the government wants, in theory, the government wants to allow access for folks who don't necessarily qualify through general means to get a mortgage, Right. So uh, things like uh, FHA, USDA, VA, etc., uh, credit requirements, income requirements, debt, debt requirements, all those things are generally uh, more uh, flexible, if you will. That's probably the best term, flexible, than getting a, a conventional mortgage, right? Conventional mortgage, they want you to have 640, 620 credit. They want you to not have a debt to income higher than 40%. You know, they want you to um, they want you to uh, be able to prove that. Right. Oh, it's my daughter would say. Right. Which is all fine because it's prudence. Right. Fiscal prudence and lending is also um, very important because lending is how we create cash or capital within our economy. Now, FHA minimum credit requirements, you know, going back to your story, is about 580, right? With the 580 credit score, depending on what lender you go to, uh, utilizing the FHA program, generally borrowers are allowed to bring a minimum, a, a minimum uh, equity injection or a minimum down payment on the property of 3.5%, right? FHA rates are generally generally lower uh it's it's been around three and a half percent you know and and have gone up but because banks still have to front load this capital right and banks also have to um prudently underwrite to assure that the government will guarantee the loan right because you know uh, as much as we like to think that uh, as much as we like to think that, you know, banks only care about risk, banks' number one goal is to make money in a prudent way, right? So the banks have to underwrite prudently so that they can show the government, hey, we are not, um, we're not just taking on any Joe Schmo who has a loan, right? Because that's what happened in the the crisis. 
Banks were writing loans to any and everybody and taking the higher interest rate because, I quote, who the hell doesn't pay their mortgage, right? Um, which is why the, the ARM product was so great back then because the ARM rates were lower. It allowed people to get into the, the, their homes a lot quicker. And then the bank got to hit you on top of the head with the rate adjustment of prime plus whatever the spread is. Uh, every year after your fixed rate period was up, okay? Now, bank, because the government is, is uh, guaranteeing these loans, you know, it allows for creditors to be more flexible in the guidelines in which they issue these loans, okay? But... It is still the lenders, it is still at the lender's discretion to determine, you know, how they underwrite and price loans to the open marketplace. So just because the credit minimum for FHA is 580 doesn't mean that your your lending institution is going to accept a 580. Okay? You know... We've I've seen some lending institutions say, "Hey, our, our FHA product starts at th- at six forty, right?" And that's probably because they may have a better rate than some of the the Doobie Cheatham and how lending companies that are out here, you know. But um, just because it's an FHA doesn't mean you're going to get the lowest rate, right? And generally, most people do FHA because you get a lower rate and you bring less money, and some people will pay more money to bring less money to the table, right? So that is, that's why it's important to, uh, to understand all of the moving parts. So I know what you're thinking. <clears throat> Ron, you sat on this podcast and said the absolute most today, right? But I still don't know what I can do to get into the best mortgage for me. Well, first thing you can do is a quick Google search of rates and a quick Google search on all the things that we talked about, adjustable rate mortgages, conventional mortgages, USDA, FHA, VA, etc., so that you can find a product that's best for you. Everybody wants to go to a traditional bank to qualify for their mortgage. But the truth of the matter is, it might be better to go to a broker, right? Because brokers have more options or are able to share your file with more lenders to get a higher opportunity of approval than going to a traditional bank. But that's not for me to say. That's for you and your loved ones and all of the stakeholders and you buying a house to put together. But what I will say is understand, do your best to understand what you're getting yourself into. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And though it costs everything that you have 
get understanding. So take some time to understand what it is you're trying to do. The really cool part is, uh, you know, the way that credit works nowadays, you know, it used to be uh, whenever your credit got ran up with different products that you got an inquiry for every single one. Well, that's still the case for, for most things, right? That is still the case for most things. However, for mortgage, I wish it was, the, it, you know, for mortgage, um, that's not the case. For mortgage, if you run your credit today while shopping for a mortgage, you have 30 days to continue shopping. I mean, you can go to every mortgage lender under the sun without it affecting your credit score. In fact, <laughs> uh, during my home buying process, the uh, seller, uh, obviously you gotta get a pre-approval. My lender wasn't accepted, so I had to get a different pre-approval. And uh, when I ran my credit, to get that second pre-approval or ultimately the pre-approval that I believe we're going to go with. Uh, every Joe Schmo lender and their mom started calling me. I mean, immediately after the credit pull had hit, I got an email from Credit Karma saying, hey, did you apply for a mortgage? Here are five different mortgage companies that we think you qualify for based on your credit profile. After I did that, I, you know, they, they all started calling. When I say they all started calling, I mean, they all started calling. I was like, Who, what in the world? Why are you, you guys all calling me? I, I had no clue, right? Why they were calling me. I didn't, you know, I called my banker and said, hey, uh, I know uh, you, I see that the credit pool has happened and now I'm getting calls from a bunch of different lenders who are looking to um, write me a mortgage. What, what's up with that? What up with that? What up with that? And he was saying, yeah, you know, that's, uh, you know, a lot of times the, the, the marketing companies like your credit cards and identity IQs, et cetera, will send that information out once the inquiry hits to all of their marketing partners. Um, generally, I pride myself on being, you know, uh, pretty discreet, non-traceable, not non-traceable because, you know, I put a, a good amount of information out on the internet, but I have opted out of a lot of things. Um, but in that case, it worked out for me, right? So here are some practical steps that you can take if you are in the market for a mortgage or in the process Right. The first thing you can do is go to your banker, go to your local banker. And the reason that I'm an advocate for your local banker is because your local banker generally uh, understands the marketplace. They understand they have relationships in the market and they're able to help you uh, through the process. Mortgage bankers now have, you know, you know it's funny. Um, when I started in mortgage or when I started in finance, you know, the idea of the Dodd-Frank Act uh, just was 
annoying, right? Because I was fresh getting my uh, getting my feet wet in this finance market and all these regulations started hitting us on top of the head. But one of the one of the only things that, in my opinion, or one of the few things rather, that Dodd-Frank did, that the Dodd-Frank Act did for uh, the consumer and for mortgage companies is basically made your mortgage banker a fiduciary, right? Meaning you have to act in the best interest of your client. So you can't just sell them an arm when you, they're telling you, hey, I'm a contract employee. Yes, I get contracts, but they're generally for three to five years. And I could go without the contract or have a decrease in income. But, you know, you, you, you know, things of that nature. Right. But your mortgage bank, your local mortgage bankers are now fiduciaries for the most part. Now, some brokers still act like it's the, the Wild West. But for the most part, mortgage bankers are fiduciary, meaning they have a responsibility to put you in the best product according to your needs, right? The second thing is uh, explore your options, right? If your mortgage banker is presenting you with different options based on your credit profile, then you need to go and look up those options. Google University is, you know, has come a long way from from the the early 2000s. You can Google just about anything and find it. Pro tip, most of the stuff that you find on the first five pages of Google are advertisements. So you might have to go a little bit deeper in, right? Or partake in some of the advertisements and call those folks or look up whatever you need. Once you feel like you've gotten an understanding and you've gotten some options, now you want to go to your discernment about who you trust, right? Do you trust your mortgage banker? Do you trust the mortgage company? Does the mortgage company have a, a, a track record of closing mortgages for folks of your, of your, of your uh, economic status, right? I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, sellers or you know uh, realtors, etc. Who, when you present, and this is no shade to them, I, I'm sure they're a good company. But when you present a Quicken Loans, actually, <laughs> Quicken Loans has changed their whole branding, and I'm assuming that it was probably had something to do with that. But generally, when you presented a Quicken Loans pre-approval, a lot of places were like, mm, I don't think so, right? Um, because Quicken Loans or, or, or some lenders say that they offer a product for a specific profile. But in practice, they can't actually get it done. And when that is the case, you, you generally open yourself up to uh, liability. Well, not liability, but the, the liability of not getting your loan closed, right? That's the worst the worst part about any uh, uh, going through all this is doing it all and can't close, right? So, do the research. Does this company have a track record of closing files of credit profiles like mine? Look at the reviews. Take the reviews with a grain of salt because nowadays everybody has something to be outraged or upset about. So, please take the reviews with a grain of salt. And 
get a second opinion. I already said that when you're getting a mortgage, um, you can run your credit as many times as you want for a mortgage within the first, within 30 days of the initial credit inquiry. Uh, after that, it'll be another inquiry, and that's just going to hit you right on top of the head. Okay. Finally, talk to your loved ones. That talk to the stakeholders before making a decision, and agree. Once you agree, you got the green light. There you have it. Another successful episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do. I'm, I'm grateful for you tuning in and listening. And um, I, I truly hope it's of value. We got some guests coming up next week. I'm, I'm super excited about that. Uh, Stogie of the Week is Undercrowned by Juru Estates. Uh, Undercrowned 10th anniversary. So, I mean, it was actually all right. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a... Uh, a little strong for my flavor generally, but it was, uh, I finished it and it was pretty good. Um, we're also going to start adding, uh, some additional things, uh, to, to the experience. So hopefully you were able to take, take it down and take one back and, uh, we will see you next week.